Bible with me to the book of Matthew chapter 12. In Romans 10, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, or faith arises by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You're stronger than you think. You're stronger than you look like. You look like you're pretty ordinary, but when trouble comes, I said when the enemy raises up his head, trouble doesn't bother us. It used to, and sometimes we don't know if we can handle it, but I'm telling you, trouble has met its match. You become confident in life. So many people are afraid in life, just afraid. They are encumbered by life. It takes all of their life to live their life. They are afraid for life, afraid of dying of cancer or of some disease. But we're not afraid. Say, I'm not afraid. afraid. And see, you can say that. You can say that out of your head, but we're really saying it out of our heart. We're not afraid. And should we miss it? Should we just miss the mark completely? We have such a confidence in the end of that that we would just go to heaven. So there's nothing that bothers us. It takes the stress out of living if you know that there's nothing negative or adverse that can happen to you. That the worst thing that could happen to you is really just that you get to go first. And in the economy of heaven, you know, we'll all be there in just a moment. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God. Would you say that last part with me? The power of God. Let's say it again. The power of God. Now, I want to remind you again that Paul said two things. He said the Word of God is the power of God. It's not icons. Listen to me carefully. It's not icons. It's not the old rugged cross. When I was growing up, we sang about I will cling to the old rugged cross. Well, you just think about that, and I do not want to get over there and and hurt anybody's feelings, but you've got to distill that, and you've got to know what it really means and what it really doesn't mean. There is no power in the old rugged cross. There is an event that happened, and what happened on that day went into your future, went into your life. But to look back now and say, I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross, means, or it could imply, you don't really know where the power of God is. The power of God is in the Word of God. The power of God is not in the Bible. Now, hold on. Does that mean if you have 12 Bibles, you have more power than someone that just has eight Bibles? It is actually and literally black ink on white paper. And until it is transposed into another form, until it contacts a human spirit and becomes faith and is released out of a mouth, it is just Swiss Family Robinson. It is just hey diddle diddle, the cat and the fiddle. I don't want to disparage it, but this is nothing until it is converted. So we can't say the power of God is even in a Bible. Although certainly hey diddle diddle is not going to get you anywhere no matter what you do with it. It's not in oil. You'll get televangelist that'll talk about holy oil. There's no holy oil. We actually have a bottle of oil here. In a lot of cases, the best thing you can do with this is put it on some real good bread and eat it with spaghetti, this olive oil. There is no power in this bottle until it assumes another form, until it is mixed with faith. This is just oil. It is just oil. There's no power in holy water, Jordan water. There's no power in that. There's no power in little red strings that you can get from some people. I mean, people that I loved and trusted and just believed in, and then they'd start doing fundraising with red strings. It's it's not right. It's not right. There's no power in the Ark of the Covenant. When they find that and they go, oh, oh, or the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ that he drank at the Last Supper, there's no power in that piece of metal. Or whatever it was. Just go to your cabinet and get you some of them Libby glasses or a big mug. It's the same amount of power as those things. The power is in the Word of God.
And you say, well, of course we know that, but there's a certain amount of reverence to that. We have denominations or cults and false faiths that say there's power in ritual or in liturgical things. Swing the censer, and they'll have on this fancy garb and say, there's a powerful man. Well, when he's in his bathing suit, is he as powerful? <laughs> it's not in the clothes. It's not in the tie. We preachers just joke about, oh, that's a nice tie. The anointing's in the tie. You know, wear that tie, and you can cast out devils and... We got to know that. And the second thing we got to know is, and this is the part where you and I have to live to, is I'm not ashamed of the power of God. We'll say I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but you got to know that the power in the gospel, the power in the word are the same. That when God says he wants you rich, that is his power coming out of the word of God. You can't be ashamed of that. Some people are ashamed of preaching about money. They don't like the preacher to preach on money, but it's the gospel. It's the gospel, and that is the power of God. So ministering on God's plan to put money in supply and seed into your life and to make you a demonstration before the heathen is the power of God, and it doesn't come another way. But people want it to come another way. They want the power to be more palatable, but it's not. It's in those things. It's healing. Lay hands on the sick. That's the power of God. And so that's what we've got to do is we've got to come and we've got to get this power this ability of Almighty God. It's already in us. It's already on us, but we got to acknowledge it. And in that, sometimes you have to disacknowledge some other things. You have to acknowledge because it's hard on some people to say the old rugged cross isn't it. That's just hard on them. It's just like, don't talk about my old rugged cross. And someday I'll, I don't even remember the song for sure, lay down my, I'll pick up for a crown or I'll lay down a crown. And we'd sing these mournful songs. And when the end of the service was over, it meant nothing. There was no power in it. It didn't have power in it, so you didn't get any power. The power is in the gospel. It's in the word of God. And so that's why here we put such a weight and a value and a worth on the word. And we always will, because that's what the Word says, that the gospel is the power of God. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Word of God, and I'm not ashamed of the power of God. So the power of God is what we're after, and we're not going to look at it from a funky or an abstract way. We're going to go straight to the source. We're going to get it from the Word. We're not going to get it through dancing or from hype or from oil things. Or We're not going to get it from that. We're going to get it from the Word, and that'll do us. Amen. Mark chapter 11, you remember what Jesus said? He said, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever things he says. Well, what was he actually basically saying there? He says, whoever shall say shall have whatever they say. Whoever shall say, that means all of us, shall have whatever they say. That's a law. That's a principle. It's the law of confession. Whoever shall say, shall have whatever they say. Whoever shall say, is having whatever they say. Now, we don't like that part as much because that puts it in the negative and the positive. But whoever shall say, is having whatever they said. Oh, no. (laughs) But you can train yourself. You can align yourself to make the power of God come through your life, and you can have what most people are calling the American dream. You can have it in the course of life. You can just start having what you say because you started saying what you wanted to have. Are you in Matthew chapter 12? 
Let's just go straight to verse 36, because the Lord Jesus is finishing a discourse here. He says, but I say to you, he's literally talking, among other things, it's got a double meaning here. He's talking about the new birth, but he's also talking about how this new birth, how it makes your life. And he's saying basically here in the first verses that the well that you dip out of, what you get out of the well isn't dependent on the bucket. You can't blame the bucket for the water not being good when you let the bucket down the water and say, this is the sorriest bucket I ever said. You know, if you throw a good bucket in the well, you can't say it's sorry water because the bucket was no good. The buckets are irrelevant. Is that right? So whatever's in the well, you're going to drink or you're going to enjoy based on what's in the well that you dip out. And so the Lord's telling you, get something inside the well. And then when you speak, whatever you put in there, that's what you're going to enjoy. It's just a matter of course of life. And then he says in verse 36, but I say to you that every idle word, every unemployed word, every barren word here that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And we looked at that, that the day of judgment is not just a specific day, but it's every day that you need better than what you got. Every day that you come to a crossroads, that's a day of judgment. My Alagasco bill this month was 200 and something dollars. You know, you could say, whoo, y'all are toasting over there. Well, I don't know what happened, but that's what it was. I don't know if I got the neighbor's bill on mine. I went out and looked to see if there's a little pipe running across the grass because I thought, dear Lord, it's a day of judgment. Whoo. The day of judgment is the day you need or the day you have to have something that's out of the ordinary. The point he's making here is that what you're speaking is going to show up when trouble comes or when a crisis comes or when you come to a place in your life that you want better. He said, your words are going to speak and testify for you or against you. And you go, I didn't say that. Well, if that's what you had when trouble come, well, then that's what you said. Don't blame the bucket. (laughs) It's whatever was in the well. And we can change what's in the well. If we don't like what's coming out, We're going to have to change what's in the well. And so he says, by your words, in verse 37, by your words shalt thou be justified. That word means to be acquitted or to be made free. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned or to be put in bondage. So he's talking about words having a great weight in your life. Now, y'all, this is really important. The Lord Jesus is the author here of these things that were said. He spoke on things that were very important. He didn't speak on sin much. He didn't speak on judgment much down the road. He spoke on money. He spoke on forgiving. He spoke on your words. He spoke on keeping your heart right. That must be what's important to you and I from heaven's side. But you know, preachers aren't preaching on that. They're just mad at sin. You know, get right or get left or, you know, get straight. They just wail on it. And you can't change anything in people's lives until you change what's inside their heart. You got to put good stuff in if you want good stuff to come out. And if you condemn people and wail on people and always make them feel bad about themselves, then when they go and throw the bucket in the well, there's just one thing that can come up is condemnation and guilt and all that. There's no victory in that, is there? No doubt we all know it's there. No doubt we know we could do better. No doubt we want to do better. But wailing on it and talking about it all the time is not the answer. So I have an opportunity to change my life. I'm not strapped with what my dad left me or what my mother said about me or about my job or education. Jesus, he didn't say that's what's going to happen. He said, if you'll get your mouth right by getting your heart right, you're going to have a better life. The point is, is we've got to believe it here. Matthew chapter 13, look in verse 10. 
the disciples came, and they said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And he went on to say some other things, but to them it's not given. But here's the point. The Lord Jesus, he said, It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would like to put my name there or put the pronoun I there and say that the Lord Jesus told me, It is given unto me to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're under a great cloud, religiously speaking, by the Old Testament scriptures and by people that want to always put us down about who we are in Christ, and they start pointing to things that tell us that we're not there yet. But I'm telling you, at the new birth, you got there. You were translated from what little pokey place you were in life. You were translated to the front of the class, to the head of the line, to the top of the hill. All of a sudden, what you didn't have, didn't know, couldn't do, couldn't have, all of a sudden, you were put right there in the primo place at the new birth. They'll use Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says, The secret things belong unto the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The truth is... God wants you to know about your life. He wants you to be a partner in the kingdom. I said a partner in the kingdom. He's God, but he's Father, and not just God. In the Old Testament, he was God, and he was quaking and rumbling and, you know, don't touch the mountain or you'll die. But he's Father now. The Bible calls him Abba, the same word that we translate Daddy. We're family. And so everything that you want to know or need to know about the kingdom, it's an open book. He wants you to know everything. So he's given you the word, and then he put the Holy Ghost inside of you and said, learn all you can. Now, he did say there were some secret things. And the secret things is that I can't know everything about Philip's life. Lord, why did he buy that car? Why does he do what he does? Lord, I, tell me how much money he has. You know, he just put in this much, and I think he's got more. Lord, that's none of my business. It's none of your business. And you'll never know it. The Lord will never tell you because that's none of your business. It'll cause you to stumble. And you don't have a context for knowing. Even if you knew what happened, you wouldn't have a context for knowing why they did it and where they were in their life and where the Lord's leading them. It'll just cause you to mess up. But everything about your life and how you fit in the kingdom and in the family is not only privy to you, it is expedient for you. You must know everything concerning your life in the kingdom. And if you don't go to church, and if you don't read your word, and if you don't pray, you're an idiot. I'm talking about not knowing as much as you can know. The fool is separated from the genius just because of knowledge. Many times, he just doesn't know. Well, see, we've got a lot of Christian idiots walking around. They're born again, and the library is wide open, but there's not but three books in there. And it's how to go to heaven, usually. And even them got some sections missing. And so we got to know more. We can know more. And we should know more. They'll use Isaiah 55, 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. But he's talking to men that are not born again. And no doubt the heathen, the sinner, does not know the ways of God. So Isaiah rightfully said, God says he's a lot smarter than you. And you can't get there by the blood of bulls and goats. But he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, he says, but you have the mind of Christ. Amen. We're born again. Yeah. Things changed at the new birth. When Jesus came in there, you can throw away that thing in Isaiah. It doesn't apply to you. 
We got the mind of Christ. The Amplified says that we do hold the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of his heart. <laughs> there's no secrets. There's no mysteries. If anything's been hidden, it's been hidden for me. So he knows how to make me wealthy. I'm just telling you. And you go, well, I wish I knew. You can know. You're going to have to dig it out. Faith is going to have some initiative in there. And for you to be a millionaire, and not everybody's called to be a millionaire, I can tell you. You can give a million away and never actually have a million. You just gave it $20 per week or whatever. You just <laughs> ran it through so you never did get to actually say that was there. But I'm talking about you can know, God wants you to know how to be wealthy. No one ever died in faith, tragically, prematurely, before they were satisfied. Qualify that. 1 John 2, 20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One. And what does it say? And ye know all things. So we could this morning by faith say, I know all things. You could say by faith this morning, I know all things, that it's in here. Now, the sensor up here, the head, where the library is actually kept about knowledge, it doesn't know everything, but it could access this down here and know everything. When you pray, you have a lot more access to this down in here. When you read the Word, you're stirred up about this down here. When you pray in tongues, you know things down here. You, things start coming up. You'll pray. You'll get in a corporate prayer. They're praying over here about Lord Israel and Lord here about the building and over there. And all of a sudden, God just starts stirring you up from down in here about take this step and take this job and quit this and go here. And, and all of a sudden, you got the answer for your life. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, you don't know things about that's going to happen in three years, but you wouldn't know what to do with it if you did or you would do the wrong thing. A lot of people know too much, and they don't have a context or a reference for the assignment of God on their life. So when God does show them something, they go off the deep end. Or if he shows them something that he wants to give them for another six months, but it's not now, but they go buy the house now, they go quit their job now, they go, you know, whatever now, it messes up the plan. Because there's not a temperance or a patience down in there to wait until there's a confirmation. But there's no doubt you have access to everything. Y'all need to look a little happier before I can go on. This is the best news. You can know everything about your future present right now. And matter of fact, you should. Not only is it available, it is mandatory for your life. So I have an unction. I have an anointing from the Holy One to know everything about my life. Wow. An anointing means it's from God. Don't have a degree. Don't have a... But I have an unction. I have something from heaven to know about everything. Well, confession is one thing we need to know more about. It needs to be something that replaces how you were raised. If you weren't raised in this, and I don't see many of you out here that were raised in this. There's a few, like Colin and Eric, that were literally raised in this. But that doesn't even mean that they got it. I hope you got it. But it doesn't mean that everybody got it that was raised in it. I'm kind of thankful sometimes that even though I say I was a good Baptist, I wasn't that good sometimes. I wasn't totally indoctrinated. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. So God has no mysteries, and Adam had no mysteries. There was nothing that God had going on that Adam didn't know about pertaining to his life. Are you all here? So Adam was on the inside track. 
He didn't have depression. He didn't have days of saying, just don't know what to do. He knew the will of God. It was part of the makeup of that hour. Now, we would have to go there by revelation through the Word of God and be able to see how Adam operated. It's the same way the Lord Jesus operated. The thing is, it's how you and I are supposed to operate. But Adam and the Lord Jesus had the advantage of they never had a life to get over. Is that right? All that you and I are dealing with is not what the Lord's given us or not given us. It's dealing with what we thought we had. We thought we were confused. Anybody ever said, I'm so confused or I don't understand? That is contrary to the Word of God. To say I don't understand is the same thing as saying I may be going to hell. Well, we wouldn't say that. You couldn't say that. You wouldn't say, I'm going to hell. You have a confidence, a knowledge, an understanding. You have a revelation about the born-again life. I'm going to heaven. But to say, I don't understand, is contrary to the Word of God, where he says, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have the mind of Christ. Do you think the Lord sat around and says, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. No, he got up early, went to the mount, went to the desert. He found out. It was there. He had to go pray and find out. So if we don't know, it's not because God doesn't want to show us. It's just because we haven't found out. We are encumbered with, the, with, the, with a liability or a disability on our life thinking that we're just mere frail humans and that we just don't know things. That's how we were raised. But it's just not who we are. It's just who we were, and we're getting over it. <laughs> we're recovering from who we were. And some people don't want to recover. They just want to be stupid. They just want to get through life. They just want to make it through life and get to heaven. But, you know, there's a danger in that, that if you don't have a confidence in him here, things that are provable, things that can be reckoned with, then when that day comes, what if there's something more there than we have understanding in order to get from here to that place? And so, Genesis chapter 1, in verse uh, 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. So here's the law. Here's the law of God, the law of the kingdom, and it is for everyone. Here's the thing. Father is the head of the family, and so he can't say like probably your parents did, probably like you did, do as I say, not as I do. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So he said... He was going to operate by the same law that he expected us to operate by and that Adam operated by. Adam had no lack of provision. He knew that what he needed was available to him. He could create it with his words. It says in, in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, the earth, every creeping thing. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female, created he them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. And it goes on over every living thing. So Adam had the rules set up for him that everything was a matter of dominion, that he was to take dominion in the name of God over everything. So when he stepped in, it was like God stepping in. When he showed up in the, in the garden, it was like God showing up. 
Nothing defied God. Nothing said we don't feel like doing that today. (laughs) So Adam took dominion. It's who he was, and the domain that he was over was the garden. Here you and I are. That is a type and a picture of who we are, the first Adam before the fall. It's who Jesus looked like before he ascended. It's who he made us. And what God said in chapter 1, verse 3, is that God said, let light be. And he spoke words. He had a confidence over his words because he knew the principle would never fail. Now, here's spiritual law. Here's physical law. Physical law says, whether it's chemical, whether it's engineering, whether it's physical, all kinds of laws have this thing, that if you use the same elements in the same way, they will always produce the same result. There's no hokey-pokey of time where things erode. There's certain physical laws, chemical laws, the whole thing. You can take two poisons. You can take sodium, which is a poison. You can take chlorine, which is a poison. Put them in a jar together, and they become a harmless chemical called salt. Isn't that amazing? It'll happen every single time. You don't have to wonder, is this poison or not? You know, I don't know. Sodium chloride, I don't know. It'll ha- it's, you, you're guaranteed. It'll always be the same. It'll never evolve into hydrogen or lithium or something like that. It'll always be the same. The same thing with confession. If you take the same elements, speak to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, not doubt in your heart, which we can't now that we're born again. He spoke that to unborn again men. But believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. What does he say? What does he say the, law, the end of the law is? If you have these elements, you will have whatsoever things you saith. Not what God saith, but what you saith. So if you'll say them with confidence out of the heart, then you'll have whatever you saith. Amen? So we have this tremendous law that's more dependable than gravity, and it works every time. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Now the good news is that the whole world doesn't understand that spiritual law is the same. The whole world has this thing about the sovereignty of God. And so they can't depend on law, spiritual law, because they think that God has a disclaimer, an override, a first right of refusal that says, except if it be my will. And so you can't depend on it. It brings instability to your life. When you pray in the name of Jesus, which is a principle, it's a law of dominion, a law of authority, you pray according to the word, you get the word of God, you say it and you pray it, you believe you receive it in the name of Jesus, but then you don't have a confidence to receive it because it might not be God's will. See, so it's not a law. It's an experience. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And that's what we have here in Luke chapter 5. In verse 4, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've got experience in this area. As a matter of fact, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. And this is our experience. The reason they fished at night is because nets were visible to the fish in the day. So they fished at night. Well, it didn't work. He's an experienced fisherman. But it wasn't a principle that you could say, if you let down nets in this area at night, you always get this many fish. It's not a principle. Is that right? It's a livelihood, and based on experience, it has good odds. But it's not ironclad. 
So Jesus intervened. He said, let's go to a principle that never fails. It's consistent, and it never fails. He said, let down your nets. Did y'all see that in verse 4? Let down your nets. And he said in verse 5, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Well, he's a little bit rebellious there. In other words, he's not fully committed to the law. He doesn't believe the law. What's the law? The law of confession, that whosoever shall say shall always have whatever they say. Isn't that the law? Isn't that what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 11? Whosoever shall say shall have what they say. So Jesus invoked a higher law, but Peter didn't get it. He said, you know, I've been here a long time. No, 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 no. Nevertheless, for whatever reason. And it says in verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net, singular, break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were another ship, that they should come over and help them. So, the spiritual law worked. Why? It had to. Now, here's the key. It worked on behalf of who? The Lord Jesus. The reason it worked is because he said, let down your nets and you will have a catch. He said it. You could say it. Now, you'd have to have a confidence down in here that when I say it, the law will work and it'll work every time. If you don't have a confidence, then you don't believe it's a law. You believe it's an experience. Well, sometimes we speak to the mountain and it moves, and sometimes it doesn't. Let me tell you something. It always moves. It always moves in the spirit. But the things which are seen sometimes are more real to people than the things that are not seen. But the things that are not seen are actually more real than the things that are seen. Who has ever cut down a tree, cut it down, quack, 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 or actually buzz, 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 <laughs> cut the tree down, looked at the tree severed from its roots, understanding the law of life, that all life comes not from the air, but it came from the roots, but looked at the leaves, looked at the fruit that was still on it, and looked at it and said, this is a live tree. Maybe they stood the tree back up and just set it on the ground and then took a picture from one foot up and you said, that tree is alive, not realizing that in truth and in fact, it had been cut off from its roots. But the truth is, it was dead. How dead was it? Let's look in Mark chapter 11. How dead was it? It was completely dead. But how alive did it look? It looked completely alive. It was an illusion. There was a transaction, like when you write a check, that money's coming out of your account. When you give it to the merchant and they put it in that little slot under the drawer, it's over, honey. They can't get it out. The manager can't get it out. It's over. But you can go to your account and open it up and, you know, and say, it's still there. I think I'll go write some checks. Somehow it didn't work. They didn't take the money. I've got this VCR. I got this DVD. I got this whatever. And I've still got the money. Woo-hoo! No, 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 little fool. <laughs> There's just a little time lapse there, but it will come. Faster than you probably think. <laughs> Faster than payday, I found. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny, y'all. You know what happens when people write checks and then go get payday. It's like payday didn't happen fast enough. Amen. Well, in Mark chapter 11, 13. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. 
When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered or addressed it and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. His disciples heard it. So he cursed the fig tree. And down in verse 20, it says, In the morning as they passed by, they saw the tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Well, Jesus wasn't astonished. The disciples were astonished, but Jesus was not astonished, was he? He didn't go, well, how about that? You know, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You just never know. Now, the disciples were astonished because they didn't know the law. Now, the point is, is you can know the law. He spoke to the fig tree, and it obeyed him. When you speak to your situation, it happens. But even Jesus had to come back the next day for the tree to demonstrate what had happened the day before. But you and I have the same ability to speak life back to something as we do death. If we curse something or if we bless something and it doesn't change and we come back in a half a day or a day and we say, well, doggone, that thing's still alive. The same power that had to curse it to get it out of your life, to cast a devil out or to money cometh, has the same power to restore. You got to come to a confidence in the law. There's no doubt if we jumped off of this, there's no doubt. Nobody's going to wonder if he falls back on his head, is he going to hit, is it going to hurt? If I jump off of this, we know what's going to happen. We all have a confidence about that. Amen? Look with me in Mark chapter 5, verse 22. We are Christians. We're born again believers. As humans, we understand about gravity. As humans, we understand about the sun coming up. As humans, we understand things that are immutable, unchangeable, that always happen. And we develop our life around uh, having a confidence in that. We develop our life based on those things. We don't even consider some things because they are so undeniable in our life. Now, the advantage we have is that in this book, we can find out some things the world doesn't even know about. It is our advantage. It is our enabling. It is our ability that it works like a law every time. If the same elements are present, the same end will always be present. Mark chapter 5, we've read this story many times, but it says, Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, the Lord Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her. And here's it. This is it right here. That she may be healed and she shall live. Now, how many of y'all know natural human faith? That's all Jairus had. It was still powerful. He said, if you'll do this, she'll live. And you go down in the story here in verse 35, after the interruption of the woman with the issue of blood, it says, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, someone came saying, thy daughter is dead. Now, how many of y'all know that's the tree? That's the tree that Jesus cursed, not dying. It's sitting there 10 minutes after saying, we didn't die. It's the tree you chopped down or buzzed down. Sitting there saying, I'm still alive. Look at my leaves. Taste my fruit. Take a sample out of the trunk. Fresh sap. I'm still alive. But you're sitting there looking at it. It is severed from the roots. You know it's dead. I said, you know it's dead. Y'all know it's dead? And so Jairus, he hears the report. 
It didn't work. It's hopeless. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler, be not afraid, only believe. What he literally said to him is don't remove the elements. Y'all, when you sowed your seed just a few minutes ago, things changed in your behalf. That seed was not inconsequential. That seed that you planted, if you, sow, if you brought your tithe, if you sowed your seed this morning, you altered your future, things were changed. It's undeniable. It happened. I held my offering up, did you? I sowed it, I said words over it, I said this seed is blessed. This seed knows what to do, it's pre-programmed. But it needs to be planted. It needs to be released. And I'm the one, I'm the only one that can release it. And I do release it and I send it forth. And I did and I commanded the harvest, like she said, to come back to me at an abundant rate. And that's exactly what happened. Now my part is not to say, God doggone, the leaves are still green. Looks like it didn't happen. My job is to say that lack and need died with my seed. So here, Jesus, what did he say? Be not afraid, only believe, or keep on believing. He wasn't astonished because he knew the law of confession always works. So he went in there. What did he say? He says he went in there, and he spoke to her, and he said, they said, she's dead. No, she's just asleep. You've got to go back to what you believe. You've got to follow through that the result is predictable and consistent with the elements that are put in. So when you speak to the mountain, that mountain's listing and that mountain's obeying. Happens every time. But you can't rely on your side, can you? We're going to start changing what's in the well so that when we raise the bucket out of the well, we like what we're drinking. Our life is changed. We're going to start putting value in our words having a confidence in what we say based on what the law of confession says we can have. We're not going to be so sensitive to say, I spoke to it, but nothing happened based on time. Time is irrelevant to God. Time is irrelevant to the kingdom of heaven. It is no factor. When we get to heaven, you'll see how benign time is. It is a non-factor in heaven. Time is only used as an aid and a benefit to distinguish events on the earth. But in heaven and in the kingdom of the unseen, it is a non-element. So when we speak, time is not a factor. Now, we may look up and say it didn't happen based on time, but it happened. I'm rich, y'all. I already got it. To deny that would to be to deny the power of the covenant of the tithe, the power of my seed, and the power of my confession. It would be to deny my assignment as a paymaster in the kingdom of God. It would be to deny that God couldn't get it to me because I released in faith what his word said would happen when I got in faith. It's already happened. Time is here on the earth. It hadn't shown up in the element and in the amount and in the supply that has happened in the Spirit. But if I don't give time any credence, then I can say, I'm already rich. I'm already healed. How many of y'all are already healed? Reg, you're already healed. He knows it. Hallelujah. Down here on earth, we're having to let time. We're having to make time a factor. 
but we can't let it affect our faith. So let's stand up this morning, praise his name. Now, so what we're doing here, and this is all we're doing here.